Well, good morning, everyone. It's good to see everybody today, and um, again, a happy Friendsgiving to you. Um, I hope you are excited about celebrating Thanksgiving with uh, family and friends this week, and we're so happy that you're able to do that even prior to that with us today. Um, we hope that if this is your uh, first time here at the church, that you have gotten to know somebody uh, prior to us speaking to you right now. But if not, make sure that at the Friendsgiving, that not only will you eat, but that you get your soul filled too. Yeah, you know I mean, with um, building some good friendships with people around you. I know a lot of the people here. They're good people, okay? And I'm sure they would like to get to know you as well. So anyway, welcome, welcome to you. If I don't know you yet, my name's Roland. I'm the uh, lead pastor here, and it's a privilege to uh, share the Word of God with you today. So um, today what we're going to do is we're going to continue a series that we just started. So you're uh, fresh um, on the uh, train right here with us, and it's a series called Declarations. And the declarations that we're making are about God. The declarations that we're making are things that are going to be helpful to us in our walk with him and just in life in general as we choose to serve him. And so last week we um, talked about the fact that uh, Jesus Christ, uh, the good God that we serve, it was anointed by the Father to preach good news to the poor. That was a declaration that he made about himself in accordance with the word of God. And as followers of Jesus, we come into agreement with that. We say, that we ourselves are anointed by the Holy Spirit to preach good news to the poor, right? So that as we're preaching good news, it's good news for the poor of spirit, but it's also good news for those who are in need in the world around us, even with material things. And today what we're going to do in honor of uh, Thanksgiving that's uh, coming up is we're going to say that we have a declaration that I will give thanks, okay? I will give thanks, that is a declaration that we need to have coming out of our mouths because we are so predisposed to the other, right? I don't know if you're like me, but I am predisposed to complaints. Anybody else in here like me, predisposed to all the things that are going around um, on around me and all the things that I feel like are burdens in my life, all the interactions that I have with real people outside of my friends on the TV screen. You know what I'm talking about? Sometimes you feel like your best friends are the people you watch on your favorite sitcom, but when you have to deal with real people in real life, you've got complaints. Know what I'm talking about? Okay, so what we're going to declare today is that we are, will, are people who will give thanks. And so we're a people who will give thanks to God for all that he is, give thanks to God for all that he's done, and see how it changes and shapes our heart, our mind, our perspective, and even our trajectory in life. So if you have a Bible today, you can open with me to Psalm 118. Psalm chapter 118, that's where we're going to camp, camp out today. We're going to start by reading it together, then we're going to break it down. If you like to take notes, we're going to break it up into three parts today. It's going to be a progression as to why we, in fact, give thanks. And we're going to talk about it in terms of the anchor for my soul. We're going to talk about it in terms of what trials may come. And we're going to talk thirdly about the reason to give thanks. Okay, the reason to give thanks, the anchor for my soul, what trials may come and the reason to give thanks. Our declaration is I will give thanks. Let's read together in Psalm chapter 118. If you don't have a Bible today, uh, the verses will be uh, there for you on the screen. Starting in verse one, it says, oh, give thanks to the Lord for he is good for his steadfast love endures forever. Let Israel say. His steadfast love endures forever. 
Let the house of Aaron say, His steadfast love endures forever. Let those who fear the Lord say, His steadfast love endures forever. Out of my distress I called on the Lord. The Lord answered me and set me free. The Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do to me? The Lord is on my side as my helper. I shall look in triumph on those who hate me. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. And how many people say amen to that? Okay. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. All nations surrounded me. In the name of the Lord, I cut them off. They surrounded me. They went out like a fire among thorns. On every side, in the name of the Lord, I cut them off. I was pushed hard so that I was falling, but the Lord helped me. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. Glad songs of salvation are in the tents of the righteous. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. The right hand of the Lord exalts. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. I shall not die, but I shall live and recount the deeds of the Lord. The Lord has disciplined me severely, but he has not given me over to death. Open to me the gates of righteousness, that I may enter through them and give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord. The righteous shall enter through it. I thank you that you have answered me and have become my salvation. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice, not complain, but rejoice and be glad in it. Save us, we pray, O Lord. O Lord, we pray, give us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. The Lord is God, and he has made his light to shine upon us. Bind the festal sacrifice with cords up to the horns of the altar. You are my God, and I will give thanks to you. You are my God, I will extol you. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Forever. And how many people can say amen to that? First of all, we see that there in all of our lives, we need an anchor for our souls. We need an anchor for our souls in all the things that we go through and all the things that we experience. Whether you are new in the church or this is your first time experiencing something that's spiritual, you need an anchor for your soul. The truth of the matter is that you are made by an eternal, inexhaustible God who loves you, who wanted relationship with you. He actually, in fact, made you for relationship with himself. This God who created you was good, and he said that everything, because he was good, everything that he created was good. Now, when we look around us, we don't see that everything around us is good, and the reason for that is in separation from that good God. Whenever we're separated from a good God, we're separated from his design, we're separated from his ways, we're separated from the source, then naturally speaking, the things that come out of our lives or the things that come out of our relationships or the things that come out of our interactions with one another will not be the good that he determined when he originally created. If we're separated from the head, if we're separated from the source, things begin to break down. 
things begin to deteriorate. Things begin to dissolve in terms of their original design. But the anchor for our soul is this, that the Lord who made everything to be good, despite the sin, which means us missing the mark that's entered the world, he remains good despite the lack of good that we see around us. Isn't that good news? God remains the same in the midst of it. And we see that the anchor for our soul is this, that just as there was a God who created us and created us in love, he says that his love endures forever. His love endures through the ups and the downs, through the misses and the failures. His love endures through all of the disappointments that we've experienced and that we face over the course of our lifetimes or even that our family members and friends have experienced because of a disconnection from a good and a holy God. And God says he's no respecter of persons, but his love endures forever to at least three categories of people. He says, number one, that let the Israel, let Israel say, praise the Lord. Oh, my soul, give thanks to the Lord. Oh, my soul, for the Lord is good and his love endures forever. Who in the world was he talking about here when he was talking about Israel? He was number one saying, my people, the people who belong to me, my children, they should say very readily and very steadily that my love endures forever towards them because I'm an everlasting father to them. And as a good father, I'm involved in their lives. As a good father, I'm interacting with them. As a good father, I'm encouraging them and fighting on their behalf. I'm fighting on their behalf in the midst of a fallen world that doesn't know him or recognize him. He says, I am still good and my love endures forever to you. Now, as we know that Jesus Christ, the son of God has come, he says, it's not just the nation of Israel. It's the church of Jesus Christ who he's adopted to be his own through Jesus Christ and the cross, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. He says, I've given a right to all of humanity to come and be reconciled with this good God. He says, if you want to come into my love, come into what I've done for you. Come into my sinless life. Come into my sacrifice for you. Come into the reason of my resurrection, that I'm coming to reconcile you with the living God and be part of my people. Why? Because when you are fighting in this world to even just keep your head above water, he says, my love endures forever to my people. My love endures forever to Israel. It doesn't matter what you're experiencing. It doesn't matter what you're facing. It's also the priests, right? The house of Aaron that represented in Old Testament Israel, the priests who were offering sacrifices before the Lord. And let me tell you, it's part of what we were praying for you about in our prayer meeting today, that sometimes you might know that you're a child of God, but you've also stepped up to try to lead in the house of God. And you've stepped up to try to serve God in an active and an intentional way. And when you step up to serve, when you step up to actually try to make Jesus known, not only through your life of relationship with him, but also your proclamation of him, what happens is unfortunately there's a target that gets put on your back. Anybody ever feel that before? Okay. It's sort of like it was one thing to actually just 
acknowledge the name of God, but now I'm being a witness for God. Now I'm giving the testimony of God and his glory, his goodness, and all that he's done through his death, burial, and resurrection. And then all of a sudden, it seems that the problems I had before were exponentially increased. Anybody ever experienced that? When you try to step out to serve God, all of a sudden it's like the challenges that you experience there. It's like the devil wasn't paying attention to you before. You were just a part of the party. You know what I mean? But now that you're trying to interrupt his plan, now that you're trying to interrupt his game, all of a sudden there is warfare that is broken out against you. And as a priest unto the Lord, you're saying, where is the love that he says endures forever to me? And he says, you need an anchor for your soul that says, regardless of whether I'm just part of the house of Israel, or if I am actually one of the priests who are proclaiming his name, he says, we're a holy priesthood as Christians unto God, proclaiming the name of Jesus. And when you step out to actually function in that matter, you, in that manner, you need to have an anchor for your soul that says, despite the warfare, Despite the target on your back, his love endures forever to you. Amen? And in the third case, this is good news to me, because I did not grow up in the church. I did not grow up in a place where God was readily acknowledged in my household. However, I was what was called a God-fearer, okay? I was one who basically was able to respect the things of God, though I myself didn't submit yet to the things of God. And that's what's called a God-fearer, right? You might not actually yet be part of his people. You might not actually have been somebody who stepped up into leadership, but you're somebody who at least will acknowledge spiritual things. You might at least acknowledge the things of God. And he says, in the same way, this is good news, the good news of the gospel. As he says, his love endures forever, even to those who fear the Lord. Even those who acknowledge his name, he says, I'm coming to beckon you. I'm coming to whistle out to you. I'm coming to call you in. That your eyes might be opened, that you might turn from darkness to light, from death to life, and from the power of Satan, who is an enemy of your soul, to the living God. The love of God, which endures forever. He said he has a love for you. Even if you haven't walked with him up to this point, he says there's an everlasting love that he's calling you to himself through today. That is an anchor for your soul. It's not only for the child of God. It's not only for the religious leader. It's not just for the skeptic, but it's for everyone. And the truth of the matter is, is that we need that anchor for our soul because it's not if, but it's when and what trials may come in our lives that we're going to need this anchor. And in the midst of that anchor, we need to have something that's going to actually bring us above it and enable us to still give thanks in the midst of them, lest we be consumed by bitterness lest we be consumed by distress, lest we be consumed by the affairs and circumstances of life that try to take every individual out. And this is what we see in the book of um, Psalms actually described and actually exhorting us in this point. Let's pick up again in verse 5. He says this, not only do we have an anchor for our soul, we, we say the love of the Lord endures forever, but there's a reality of life. And if you've not read the Bible before or you've read the Bible many times over and you're wondering why you should do it again, it's because it's your daily bread. 
It's not only your daily bread, but it's going to be life for your soul as you go through, as you continue to cling to the promises of God, as you have this anchor for your soul, as you're looking to be able to have the strength even to make a declaration that I will give thanks to him despite what I see around me. And what we see is that the Psalms were honest. The Psalms were real, right? Anybody like, you know, sort of like look for relationships nowadays and you're always talking about, I just want my relationships to be organic. I just want them to happen. <laughs> you know, I just, I just want authenticity and for them to be real. Anybody talk like that before? Come on, be honest now. <laughs> okay. <laughs> sort of like, well, I appreciate God because in the midst of the Psalms, you have what's organic and real and authentic, okay? You have all that you're looking for right in there. They're very honest. Yes, these Psalms were led by the Holy Spirit, but they were also birthed out of the circumstances that the people of God were experiencing in their everyday life. They themselves faced affliction, whether it be King David, who was a man after God's own heart, or the sons of Asaph or Korah, who were worship leaders themselves. The Psalms were literally songs that came out of you. Now, some of you might in here might not be artists. You might not be on a worship team, but you might have a little artistic streak about you. Anybody ever go, like have a breakup before and then gone into one of those dark places where you started to write and you thought you were all of a sudden you felt like Edgar Allan Poe, right? <laughs> Just writing out of the like darkness, like the dark place in your soul. Okay. Well, listen, they had dark places in their soul that God had to come in and meet them in. And they had to learn how to give thanks in the midst of their captivity, in the midst of their bondage, in the midst of even King David's um, um, case, fighting and running for his life. And he said this, he said, out of my distress, I called on the Lord. And really, the good news begins to be good news to you when you stop going to a bottle, when you stop going to some addictive substance, when you stop going to pornography or some other thing that's going to satisfy you in a moment but leave you bound and tormented in the end. He says, come out of that place. In your distress, come to me, the author of life. Come to me and I'll actually give life to your soul. Good news, right? He says you don't have to be bound. You don't have to be captive. You don't have to be held by the things that actually lead to death. If you instead start to turn to him and say, in my distress, in my distress, God, I can actually meet with you. You're more real to me now in my distress than when everything was hunky-dory, right? You're more real to me in my time of torment and pain than whenever, you know what I mean? I felt like all things were going my way. In my distress, I can cry out to God. In my distress, he'll meet me and it becomes good news to me. Because he says, not only do I cry out to you in my distress, but the Lord, you answer me. He's a living God. He's a living God. Everybody realize that. We're not here to talk about an idea. We're not here to talk about a philosophy. We're not here just to talk of through the motions. We're here to say that our God lives, rules, and reigns. He's alive, resurrected from the dead. And he comes to set people free from their internal bondage, from their internal slavery, and say, I've set you free and free indeed. Completely free. But here's the thing. If there is a gap between what you're feeling now even as a believer, and what he's promising, here's the good news. 
other men and men of God or women of God felt that way before too. You're not alone. This is why we have the example of the Psalms. He says, I'm just a testimony, a witness to you that when I cried out to the Lord, he answered me, not just in word, but he answered me by setting me free. Good news, right? Look around you. There's at least one other Christian in here. At least one, okay? And there are people who surround you who are a living testimony and a witness that Jesus has set them free from their bondage to sin and death, from their bondage to fear and anxiety and all types of things that they felt were killing them. Look around. Is anybody else a witness in here? That's part of why we come together so that we can actually encourage one another. And the Bible says not just sometimes, but daily, as long as it's called today, so that no man or no woman might be overcome by sin's deceitfulness. What is sin's deceitfulness? Saying that once you've blown it, it's over for you. Game over. Game, set, match. It's over. But that is not the gospel of God. He says, though a righteous man or a righteous woman may fall seven times, the number of completion, seven times they'll get up again. Why? Because there is an advocate. There is somebody in that courtroom, that eternal courtroom, continually speaking on your behalf, saying, God Almighty, Father God, they are with me. They are with me. And the price that needs to be paid, I've paid it for them. And when they cry out to you, I'm going to come in a living way, in a dynamic way, and set them free and satisfy their souls in a way that no other person or no other thing can. This is the good news and the gospel of Jesus Christ. He says, I'm coming to set you free. Out of my distress, I called. The Lord answered me and set me free. But it was an acknowledgement that there was a battle. Even for those who love the Lord, there was a battle. And how many people can say very readily that there is a battle today? There is real spiritual warfare today. Everybody understand that? And the things that we fight against, the scripture says, are not flesh and blood. Though we have, we would try to put a name or a face to it. I'm tired of my boss. Tired of my neighbor. Tired of my spouse. They just don't understand. God free me. No, listen, it's not flesh and blood, but it's against rulers and authorities He says, spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. And when those things come against you, it can seem like an onslaught, right? Let's look at what Psalms is saying. In David's case, basically, there were literally physical attacks against his life. He was on the run from somebody who should have been a mentor to him, the previous king of Israel. He got jealous because he was like, well, David's getting more hype and acclaim than me. I'm going to kill him. He's like, all he wants is my crown, right? And so David was on the run. And then he also had a pair, like neighboring nations in, during Israel's time who surrounded him, who were trying to take territory back from Israel that God had given them. And he said, the nation surrounded me on every side, on every side. Anybody ever feel like it's not just one thing going wrong, but it's like Murphy's Law, right? 
It's like one thing and then two things and then three things all together, right? It doesn't always just happen in one thing. It would be if it happened just in one, like one little scenario, we could handle it, right? Anybody ever wish for that? Everybody? I, I do. I'm like, listen, most times when one thing goes wrong, I'm like, all right, what's next? That's my posture. Because I know it comes in pairs or in triplets. I'm like, listen, I'm ready to, I'm, oh, okay, I'm ready. I see you. You are the tip of the iceberg. What's next? Anybody ever feel that way? This is life because the enemy comes in this way. And he says, when he's coming against you, he comes on every side, on every side, not just from one place, but from another. It might be a relational issue, but then not only that, but then it might be a financial issue, maybe a loss of a job. And then after a um, financial issue, then all of a sudden it's an um, emotional issue. You start to break down. And then after that emotional issue, then all, you see what I'm saying? It's just like a pile up. And he says, here's the thing, that's reality. But the anchor for your soul remains the same, that the love of the Lord remains for you forever. And it's in the name of the Lord that you've got to cut those things off. It's in the name of the Lord that you've got to learn to cut those things off. What that means is literally prayer, that calling out to him. In my distress, I cried out to him and he set me free, right? Here are some practical things of how we can cry out to him in those times. There was a man named Tony Evans. Has anybody ever heard of Tony Evans before? Okay, a great pastor, Tony Evans. He said, the tragedy today is that many Christians think that they are fighting flesh and blood in their marital and parenting issues. They think they're fighting just flesh and blood in their marital and parenting issues. Like, I just can't get along with them, you know, or they're just uh, like, you know, gone astray and I, I can't get a hold of them, right? Rather than realizing that Satan, the adversary, the accuser, has an agenda to destroy their home. Whoever controls the family controls the future. We've got to understand that one of the ways that he tries to come against us is by attacking the family, right? Attacking marriage, attacking child, like child rearing, attacking on that side, right? That's one way that he tries to come. But in the name of the Lord, we can cut him off. In the name of the Lord, we can stand on the anchor for our souls. He also said this in the same book. When we allow our faith to be defined by our feelings, okay? So you have practical relational issues, but then you have feelings. Feelings. Everybody's out feel Right? It's sort of like, but so often we're dominated by our feelings. And he says, when we allow our faith to be defined by our feelings, we will be confused. Faith must have an objective standard by which it is defined. What are you standing on? Jesus said, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. Set them apart to yourself by the truth. Something that's objective. In fact, when faith operates by an objective standard of truth, it will eventually dictate our emotions rather than the reverse. When we have an objective standard telling us that there's an anchor for our soul, that I don't care what it looks like around me, the love of the Lord endures forever towards me. That word's eternal. That word remains the same. In the midst of the battle, that's what's true. 
And my emotions are telling me something different. But let me tell you, if I start to pray into what's true, my emotions will follow what's true. Because the Spirit of God will come awake, alive inside of me. He's always awake. He's always alive. But the point is, is that I'll come into an alignment with Him. I'll come into alignment with Him, and my feelings will follow the truth that He's consistently and readily declaring over me. And I'll be in a position where I can actually give thanks. But John Piper, actually, many of you have heard of John Piper. Okay, I like him. Hope you do. Okay, said it this way. He said, most of your unhappiness in life comes from the fact that you are listening to yourself rather than talking to yourself. I like that one. You know what he means there? Most of the unhappiness in life isn't circumstantial. See, because he said the kingdom of God is within you, right? And what did the psalmist teach us? The psalmist taught us that circumstances come and go. Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. And so in the midst of that trouble, how do we actually live with joy? The joy that he's actually promised us, right? Is God a liar? No. The, thank you. <laughs> okay, I'm going to speak right away. Okay, is God, I know. Is God a liar? No, God's always true. He said, let God be true and every man or woman a liar. He said, his word stands. The anchor for your soul stands. And when he says you can have the fruit of the Holy Spirit, which is joy despite your circumstances, he means it. He means it. But he says, how do you get there? You need to start not listening to yourself or all the emotions that are flooding you, telling you where you need to go, but instead speaking to them speaking to them. He says, awake. That's what the psalmist did. Awake, oh my soul, my mind, my will, and my emotions, and praise the Lord. Let's start to lift our eyes up and give thanks to him. And let me tell you something. He says very practically in Proverbs that from the fruit of his lips or her lips, a man or a woman is filled with good things. As surely as the work of their hands rewards them. Does anybody, anybody expect to work for free in Chicago? Really? No is the answer. In the same way, when you have something coming off your lips that are in agreement with the Word of God, what you're doing is you're doing a work to fill yourself with the things that God said are true. And what you're doing is you're taking the reins of your emotions. You're taking the reins of your activity. You're taking the reins of your relationships and you're actually turning them towards God so that you can actually govern them rather than them governing you. And in that place, you're able to give thanks because of the anchor of your soul. It's not if, but when the trials might come. He says in verse 17, uh, I was honest. Uh, I dealt with all the things that were going on in my life. <laughs> See, faith isn't ignoring them, right? That's sometimes what people like try to pretend like, like faith is ignoring the realities of life. It's like if you're sick and it's like you're believing for healing and somebody says, hey, how are you today? Well, I'm... <laughs> 
<laughs> well, in Jesus' name. <laughs> okay, brother. <laughs> okay. We, we, we can acknowledge that you actually need some help. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Take some medicine. <laughs> you know what I mean? Let's pray for you. And we're going to ask in Jesus' name, <laughs> you know, that you become well. You don't deny reality. That's not what the psalmist did, right? They dealt with the reality, but had a but God moment, right? Everybody heard that term before, that but God moment? You see the Psalms littered with that. You see the scripture littered with that. This is my reality, but God. This is my emotional state, but God. This is the condition I was born into or found myself in, but God. Why? Through Jesus Christ, who's able to intervene and work on behalf of those he loves. And the psalmist realized this in verse 17, where he said this, I shall not die. (laughs) I shall not die. I shall not die. Even though they're all around me, coming for me, even though I feel overwhelmed, I shall not die, but live. I'm going to live. I shall not die, but live. Some of us need to start speaking to our own souls or at least gather around us people who will speak that to our souls. There's an attack on your life and you need people who will surround you and speak life to you. He says, I shall not die, but live and declare the deeds of the Lord. Why? Because whenever God shows up, I have something to talk about, right? When God shows up and sets me free, I've got a testimony, and I want to share it with people. Why? Because if I've got the cure for cancer, it's not just for me. I want to share it with the world who's in desperate need of it. You're not the only one. I'm not the only one. And it's, I need to start speaking to my soul, saying, I shall not die though it feels like it sometime, but I'm going to live and declare the declarations, the accounts, the works of the Lord. Though the Lord has disciplined me severely, listen, if you, if you find yourself in a place even where you're being disciplined for sin, you, you understand there's discipline if you're a parent. Any parent not discipline their children? Okay, anybody remember not being disciplined by a parent? You just got away scot-free with everything. If so, let me come to your home. <laughs> you know, I still get disciplined by my six-some-year-old dad. I'm like, listen, I'm a grown man. <laughs> and he says, listen, the Lord has disciplined me severely, but he has not given me over to death. That's good news. Isn't that good news? Even if you're in the midst of discipline from the Lord, he says, I'm not giving you over to death. I discipline, he says, those that I love. Those that I love. That steadfast love, that anchor for your soul. He says, if I weren't interested in you, I wouldn't take the time to discipline you. But because I'm invested in you, I'm going to do what needs to be done so you can learn the lessons that will lead to life. He says, I've not been given over to death. And he says, listen, the gates of the Lord's, they're full of righteousness. If you've been trying to stand in a righteousness on your own after the discipline of the Lord, let that time be over. 
There's no righteousness that you can stand in on your own. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. The only way that you can stand before a holy and a righteous God is if you're covered with something perfect and pure. And the only perfect and pure thing option that we have is Jesus the Son. Is Jesus Christ the Son. And it's a faith, a righteousness that's by faith from beginning to end. That means that all the in-between comes because of what he's done for you, never what you do for him. His love is based on not your obedience, but the son's obedience. Your right standing and option for forgiveness is all based on the fact that the cross was, uh, he was paying a price on the cross that would say it's finished and it's done. You're going to learn your lesson, but the judgment has been paid for. Now stop running from him and run to him and cry out that he might set you free. This is the power of the gospel. This is the power of Jesus going into the grave, paying the penalty for our sin, and then three days later rising from the dead so that we could not only have forgiveness but new life in him. Eternal life to boot. And a woman named Lisa Bevere I like it. Anybody know Lisa Bevere? That's all right. She said it this way. I didn't read the book, but it was a good quote anyway. <laughs> she, she, she said, she said, I believe that the attacks on your life have much more to do with who you might be in the future than who you have been in the past. believe the attacks on your life have a lot more to do with who you're intended to be by your heavenly father in the future than who you ever were in the past. That's the gospel of Jesus Christ. Don't think it a strange thing when you're facing attacks. It has to do with where God's bringing you, not where you've been. In David's case, it had everything to do with the fact that he was going to be a king after God's own heart and that he was going to be one who expanded the territory of God in a way that the nations hadn't seen before. And he was going to be an example of a worshiper to set generations on course as the light of Israel. He said, listen, these attacks that are coming against you has nothing to do with you being a shepherd boy, you know I mean, who was neglected by your father in the past, out in the fields where nobody knew your name. It has everything to do with where I'm trying to take you. But to get there, you actually need that anchor for your soul. And the anchor for your soul is Jesus' the Son. His life, his identity, his death, his burial, his resurrection. And in his name, you cut off the enemy who would try to surround you on every side. In his name, you're anchored. In his name, you have a love that keeps you in the midst of the battle and propels you forward into that which God has for you. Not just now, but for the rest of your days. For the rest of your days, because your anchor remains the same. Amen? All right. What we're going to do now is we're going to go back into a place of worship. And what we're going to ask you to do is to evaluate 
where has the anchor for my confidence in life been? Where is the anchor for all of my relationships, my interactions, my pursuits been up to this point? Has it been in my own machinations, my own abilities, talents, acumen, or has it been in the one who made me, loves me, and is coming to reconcile me to himself through Jesus the Son? If you don't know Jesus today, we're going to go into a moment of communion where you have an opportunity to actually come to the Lord. And by turning away from sin and putting your trust in Jesus' sinless life, his death, burial, and resurrection, you can actually have a moment where you're crying out to the Lord. And that God Almighty will come and make you a new man or a new woman set you free and bring you into the life that he's actually intended for you. If you've been a Christian for years, but you feel surrounded on every side, it's once again a moment to cry out to him and see him break through on your behalf. That's the dance that we're in, right? He says glory to glory, battle to battle, right? Faith to faith and strength to strength. So whatever place you find yourself in today, let's make it a moment with the Lord and worship him as he is because his love endures forever. Amen.